Turn in your Bible, please, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We want to remember in prayer those of our folks who are sick, some who are in the hospitals. Ask God to touch them with his healing hand. Mrs. Fleener has been very, very sick this week in the hospital in coronary care, and let's remember her. Brother John Dalton had surgery. Mrs. Raymer, with that broken hip, has been in the hospital. Let's remember each one of these. Brother Tom Odom is sick today at home, and there are others of our folks. Let's pray that God will touch them with his hand and speak to us here in this service. May we bow together before the Lord, please. Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We don't understand that somehow this is the only omnipotence that God has given to man. The cry of prayer. You said You would listen when we called unto You. We call unto You today, some with troubled hearts, some whose family, friends, loved ones are very sick, some who have troubled hearts over decisions and burdens that they bear. They appeal to the great load lifter today, even the great physician Christ Jesus, to lift loads and brighten roads and turn us in our thoughts toward Thee. We pray that those who are not saved, who have never come to Christ, will come to Jesus today. We humble ourselves in Thy presence. Recognize that we're nothing, thou art everything. May thy spirit give light as we read the word. Before this hour is over, may there be victory in the souls of men and women and boys and girls, both here and those who listen by radio. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 22. John 6, beginning with verse 22. The day following, when the people who stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there except that one into which the disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, nevertheless there came other boats from Tiberias near unto the place where they, had, where they did eat bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took boats and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou here? And you notice Jesus didn't answer that question. He ignored it. He answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because... You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the food which perisheth, but for that food which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. 
They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat man in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gave, giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The sixth chapter of John is one of the most remarkable chapters in the Word of God. In this passage, we hear about the little boy who had some, a little lunch that he took out. Jesus was teaching the disciples and the people. A great multitude gathered on the hillside near to the city of Capernaum, the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And as Jesus had come out of the boat and was sitting there teaching his disciples, all the multitudes heard that he was there and they came unto him. And Jesus said to his disciples, what shall we give all of this multitude to eat? Can you go buy food or what can we give them? This he did to test the disciples' faith. One of them said, why, Lord, we don't have enough money to buy bread for all of this 5,000 people. And Jesus said, what do you have then? Andrew came up. Andrew, the soul winner, he said, why, why, Lord, there's a little boy here. There's a little lad here. And he, he has a lunch with him. But Lord, what is this among so many? Jesus said, calls them all to be seated. And he took the little lad's little lunch. He broke it and blessed it. And then he gave it to all the multitude. There were 5,000 men. And they took up 12 baskets at the end. And then Jesus went over, the disciples went over the lake. And after the disciples had gone, Jesus went. We're not told exactly how he went there. He just went. There was no other boat. The implication is there was a miracle. And the, the other people who had been fed, all that 5,000 group who had been fed, sought for Jesus and the disciples. And when they found him not, they found the disciples on the other side of the sea and they went there and they said, Sir, how did you come across this sea? And the Lord didn't answer that question, but he did say, You are not following me because of a miracle, but because your, your bellies were filled. Because you had that which perisheth. You had something that satisfied the body and that's the reason you're following me. And then he began at that point, and through the rest of the sixth chapter, began to show the people that in following Jesus, it is not always a matter of having the body satisfied. It is not always having enough to eat. It is not always having the daily sustenance, although God does say he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. 
But Jesus said, don't depend on getting your bodily appetites satisfied. Don't live in the feeling level. Don't live in the level where your feelings are all satisfied. And if they're not satisfied, you become restless and you live within the framework and under the circumstances of your feelings. Jesus said, don't live in that realm. Labor not for that bread which satisfieth the outward man because it perisheth. But labor for that which will never pass away. Labor for that which is eternal. Now some have plucked verses 27 and 28 and 29 out of context and said, you see, this is a work and, the, and we are saved by our works because believing in God is a work. Well, listen to what Jesus said, verse 27. Labor not for the food which perisheth, but for that food which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And then he began to tell what it meant to believe. He went into a long discussion of what does it really mean to believe. And in verse 37 he said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. They shall arrive at me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. A little bit later in that chapter he said, I'm the bread of life. He that eats of me, never, thir never hunger again. He that drinks of the water of life, never thirst again. And then he gave the illustration, and I'm sure that early disciples knew what he was talking about. It sounds very, very much like the communion service, the Lord's Supper service. He said, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And we read in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now what's going on in this passage? The 5,000 have been fed and the disciples seek or all the multitudes that follow the Lord seek him and they could be called disciples because of what verse 66 says. And they begin to follow Jesus and Jesus turns to them and said, I know why you're following me because your stomach was filled. 
You are following me because you have had some bodily appetites met, some bodily needs satisfied. But I want to say to you, following me is more than having your feelings satisfied. Following me is more than just some big feeling. Following me is more than just having enough to eat. Following me is more than just having enough to drink and enough food and enough substance and enough companionship. He said, if you really would follow me, then you have to receive me inside of you. You have to receive me. It's not a matter of Jesus being out here and I'm over here and I say, well, I think I'll follow Jesus. There he goes. So I just start walking along with him. That's very good. But Jesus said, if that's all it means, and that's that kind of physical, tangible companionship, and that's what you're depending upon for life eternal, you don't have it. Because if you walk along with me like that, and that's all there is to it, when the going gets tough, you can quit walking along with me, and you can go back and walk no more with me. And that's exactly what happened. In John 6, 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There are two kinds of belief. One is the belief of the mind and the other is the belief of the heart. I believe with my mind that Jesus lived. He was the Son of God. He performed miracles. He fed 5,000 people one time, 4,000 people another time. He touched blind eyes and caused them to see. He touched lame limbs and caused them to walk again. He interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life again. He went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins and three days later he was raised from the grave and he's alive and I believe all of that with my mind. But Jesus is still out there somewhere. I look at him and I admire him and respect him and want to follow him. But as long as that's all there is to it, I'm not really saved. I do not have eternal life abiding in me. I may feel good, I may have visions, I may have some kind of great experience. Why, I may even change the way I live. I may quit my old habits and start some more things. But as long as Jesus is out there and I'm over here, I'm not saved. Jesus was saying in this passage, you have to eat me, you have to drink me, you have to have me on the inside of you. Now, he was not, and I say this almost ludicrously, he was not speaking of cannibalism. He was not talking about coming to the Lord's Supper and some man stands over that Lord's Supper and says some prayer and turns the elements into the body and blood of Jesus. And then you take that, and in that way you're taking him into you. That's not what he meant at all. But he's saying, except you receive the Son of Man, into your life and believe upon Him to come into you, inside of you. Believe upon Him to receive Him into your life. Until that happens, you don't have eternal life. This is the reason Jesus could say, everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some will come in that day and say, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Lord, did I not do this and that in your name? Why, Lord, I've done all kinds of things in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you because you do not have Christ 
inside of you. I believe there are a lot of Baptists that are going to stand at the judgment of the great white throne and hear the Lord say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Somehow you came and you admired Jesus and you respected him and you learned all about him, but you never asked him to come into you. You never opened up your heart by faith, repenting of, from sin and turning to the living God and inviting Christ to come and live his life through you so that he could say to that hand, Do thus, and the hand would do it because Jesus said it. And Jesus would say, Look at this, and your eyes would look because Jesus said it from the inside of you. And you would be confronted with right and wrong, and you wouldn't have to go to somebody else and say, well, I wonder if this thing's right or wrong, because inside of you, Jesus would say, this thing is right. Now, you may not be able to understand all about why it's right or why this is wrong, but there's something inside of you, a discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit abiding and living inside of you that says, this is the way, walk in it. That's Jesus in you. And beloved, if you do not have Jesus abiding in you, then you're not of His. You may be religious. You may be a religious Catholic, a religious Episcopalian, a religious holiness, a religious Baptist. But if you do not have Jesus abiding inside of you, if He does not live in there, if there has been no real repentance from sin and trust in the living God in which that living God comes to live inside of you through Jesus Christ, then you're not saved. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, labor not for the things which perish. Don't spend all of your life amassing a fortune. Whether that fortune be gold and silver and stocks and bonds in a bank, or whether it be some huge palatial home or some wonderful car, or whether it be some position of, of power, <clears throat> don't spend all of your life laboring for that which perisheth. Today, tomorrow is Labor Day. And we stand with our hats off, almost our shoes off, because we stand on holy place as we think of those men who have labored and those women who have labored through the years to make America what it is. We give glory to God and honor, respect where respect and honor are due. Sometimes to our labor unions who raised men from just a thing that could be employed and used by some wealthy industry to become an individual who could share in that wealth even though the labor unions perhaps have gone to a to greater degree gone overboard <clears throat> we stand in respect to those men who've gone down in the holes of the earth with little carbide lights and now modern kinds of ways of going down and getting the elements of coal and other things out of the earth for us thank God for those who have labored through the years, who labor in factories, who labor with their hands, who labor with their minds, who labor. We have a whole day we observe tomorrow as Americans in honor of labor, laborers, labor day. And Jesus said it would be a terrible shame for you to labor all your life for those things which perish. And how many people are doing that? They're going to spend a whole lifetime punching in this clock, punching out, getting their eight hours or their overtime and their 40 hours.
and clothes and shoes and all the things they need. And then they can have a little cottage out by the lake and they can have a boat and they can have this and that and the other. All these things. And they satisfy you for a little while. Jesus said, a man is a foolish man who labors and spends all of his labor for the things which perish. They're going to all pass away. They'll not be here forever. But you're going to be here forever. You, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to whom I speak this morning, you're going to be here forever, somewhere. But those things aren't. You're going to live more than that 70 years that God promised. You're going to dwell either with God in that wonderful city called heaven where no evil thing cometh to despoil what is fair and where Jesus is waiting to welcome us there, streets paved with gold, foundation stones, beautiful, glorious stones. The best thing about heaven, not only will there be reunions of loved ones we've known and lost and loved and lost for a little while, and then they're there. We stand on heaven's shore and we see the little child come running to us. It's snatched from a mother's bosom when he was a little child. We see an old man, an old woman, mom and dad. See a beautiful person, somebody very dear to us in life, and we see them. We look upon their face with perfection in our eyes and minds and knowledge and theirs too. And there's a maturity of understanding, and we see as we're seen and know as we're known. Oh, that'll be wonderful. And then, best of all, we look upon Jesus whose hands were pierced for our sins, whose side was riven that blood and water might come out, indicating that Jesus died of a broken heart for the sins of the world. And that blood signalizing the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin, and the water symbolizing the water of life, without which we cannot be sustained through life. It would be wonderful to look in his presence and look upon his face, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Oh, how wonderful to be there with him. But some will not be there with him. Some to whom I speak this morning in this auditorium and by radio, you're going to spend eternity. You're going to live forever, but you'll live away from God in that awful nether gloom that Jesus described as weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The city of Jerusalem, built on three hills, Mount, the Mount of Olives, Mount Moriah, and Mount Zion. As you look at that map of Jerusalem facing north, on your left is the Valley of Hinnom. And as it comes down to the south, it comes to the south of Mount Zion. And in that south section, Mount the Valley of Hinnom became a garbage refuse place for all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In ancient days, the men and women, Jebusites who used to live there would offer their little children to the god of Moloch in the Valley of Hinnom. And later it became a garbage heap. The people of Jerusalem would put their garbage down there. And every day they'd put new garbage, new garbage, new garbage, and it was burning constantly, constantly. And Jesus said, you see that Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna of fire? That's what hell is like. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Down in that garden, that awful, awful valley of, of, of Gehenna, of fire, 
There was, the worms never died because there was new garbage added every day and there were worms there and the fire never died because they fired it every day to burn up the garbage. But it never quite was consumed. And Jesus said that's what hell is going to be like. Hell is like that. That valley of hell. And Jesus said, Oh, I appeal to you. You who have stood right in the midst of the feeding of the 5,000. You have been in the very presence of Jesus. Don't spend your life laboring for the things which perish and will pass away, but labor rather for that which endureth unto eternal life. And they said a strange thing to the Lord. They said, well, sir, what is it? What is it that we may labor for for eternal life? I guess they expected Jesus to say, quit committing adultery, quit stealing, quit these sins, start something else. Jesus didn't say anything like that at all. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom the Father has sent, even the Son of God, that you believe on him. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? It means to take yourself to him, realizing in my hand no price I bring Simply to thy cross I cling. Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It means coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I need something outside of me. But I need that something that's outside of me to come inside of me, to activate me, to give me the strength and the courage and the faith to do what you want me to do. And beloved, the only way that's possible is for Jesus to come and live inside of you. Right, right inside of you. It's not a matter of coming down here and trusting some Jesus that's standing down here at the altar. It's a matter of receiving the Jesus that's gently knocking on your heart's door right where you stand and saying, come in, Lord. I need you. I love you. I want you. I repent of my sins. I turn away from sin and I turn to Christ. The time has come when judgment must begin in the house of God. God's people, the people who are called the people of God, need to examine our own hearts. Am I certain that I've been born again? Am I certain that Christ lives in me? If I am, then help me, Lord, not to be a fake. What is a real fake? Usually we think of a person as a fake who pretends to be a Christian when he really isn't. That's usually the teenage definition of a fake, a person who goes to church and goes through all the motions of it and then really out at school he lives an entirely different life, so he's just a fake. Pretends one thing and really is another. But you know what the definition in the Bible for a fake is? In Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. The word conformed is from a word which means wearing a mask pretense. What the Lord is saying, if you're really saved, quit pretending like you're a worldling. If you're really God's child, quit being taken up with the things of the world. And the world looks at you and says, well, I guess he's just like I am. He smells like I do. He acts like I do. He walks like I do. He lives like I do. He goes the same places I go. He's just like I am. Scripture says, if you're really God's child, quit doing like that. Quit being conformed to this world. Quit being a fake.
If you're really God's child, come out with God's colors. Stand for Him. Live for Him. Honor Him with your substance, with your sincerity, with your totality. That's revival. That's what revival is. Revival doesn't always start with masses. Many times it starts with just a minority, a master's minority, just a little group. And when you're willing to give to God all you are, He'll take you and use you. I dare you to do it today. In a few days, we're going to start a series of meetings. Walter K. Ayers will be here with us in what we're calling a crusade, a back-to-school crusade, a revival. But I want to tell you, he'll not bring it in his suitcase. It has to start in our lives, in our hearts. That revival is God's will for us all the time, 365 days a year, all the time. God wants us to be a blaze, a flame of fire for him. Are you sure you've been born again? Are you sure that Jesus lives in your life? Let's close our eyes in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for these who have attended and listened this morning so effectively. I pray that right now the Spirit of Jesus will move across this place. And some who have never been saved will come to Christ and others who are saved, God's children by faith, take a stand for God. Some will move their letters, others will come and say, I need to follow Jesus in baptism. And others you need to come and say, I don't want to play church anymore. I want to be what God wants me to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand, please? I'd like to request, please, that no one move around, no one leave the auditorium. We're going to sing God's invitation. This is the Lord's invitation. I appreciate your attentiveness this morning. God bless you. Without any apology, let me appeal to you to put Christ first in your life if you're saved. Just come out and put Jesus first. Stand for him, having done all to stand. I dare you to do it. Now, some of you, if you're going to stand for Christ, will need to step out from where you are when we begin to sing and come saying, I've been saved, but I have not scripturally been baptized. I need to follow the Lord in baptism. You need to come, say that. And then we need to, you need to go through with that. Be baptized today, tonight. Follow the Lord all the way. Do what God wants you to do. Or as soon as we can work it out. If you've been saved, stand for God. Some of you need to come and say, I've been saved. Maybe this week somewhere, someone led me to Jesus in a car, in my home, or somewhere else. You need to come and take a stand for God. Some of you need to come and say, I'm a member of some other church and God wants me at Glendale. I want to move my membership here. You need to do that today. However the Holy Spirit impresses your heart, would you take a stand for God right now while we begin to sing, who step out first for Christ the King? Will you come?